Adams on Agriculture brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel, a more complete additive package for a more complete burn. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, it's Adams on Agriculture. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Thank you for joining us and letting us be part of your day as we wrap up what a week it has been. And we're still waiting for final results and lawsuits and legal action before we know all the election results. So a lot still going on. But we know there are a lot of other things going on as well that we want to talk about, including the markets and the big rally, that big jump that we've seen in prices. And how long might that continue? And how did the results of the election perhaps impact that, impact trade with China and things like that? We're going to be talking with Steve Nicholson, Grain and Oil Seeds Analyst with Robo AgriFinance. We're also going to take a look at the election results from the state of Iowa, especially that Senate race, Joni Ernst uh, winning re-election. Biofuels had a big part to play in that race. We'll talk with Monty Shaw, Executive Director of the Iowa Renewable Fuels Association, about uh, what happened there in Iowa. Also, you may not know it, but tomorrow is National Bison Day. We're going to talk with the Executive Director of the National Bison Association, look at the bison industry here in this country. That's coming up on today's program as well. But on the subject of biofuels, that's where we want to start today, as EPA is requesting a one-month extension with the Supreme Court before it responds to a case, that ruling on how it handles its uh, decisions on small refinery exemptions. Here to talk about it is Jeff Cooper, President and CEO of the Renewable Fuels Association. Jeff, thanks for joining us. A couple of questions right off the bat. Why and why now do you think EPA is making this move? Well, Mike, it's just more of the same from this EPA. It's another instance of the agency trying to kick the can down the road on these uh, these controversial decisions. It's another attempt to delay any action on the 2021 RVO rule. Uh, and, you know, they're trying to delay uh, deciding any of those remaining 35 small refiner petitions that are still pending at EPA. So uh, it's just more of the same from the agency. It's it's uh, you know pretty clear that they want to delay any of these decisions until the dust is settled from the election. Uh, potentially, they'll be kicking these issues to a, a new administration, um, or certainly into the next calendar year, uh, one way or the other. I, I guess what was a little bit surprising for us on this is is you know EPA had not appealed the decision uh, in the Tenth Circuit. Um, the refiners asked the Supreme Court to review that Tenth Circuit case that struck down those small refinery exemptions, but EPA did not. When they lost in the Tenth Circuit, they made the decision, and it was the correct one, uh, not to pursue any kind of appeal. So they were not part of the refiners' appeal to the Supreme Court, and it didn't look like they were even going to weigh in at all with the Supreme Court. So it was a bit surprising to us to see here in the last few days that they are intending to weigh in with the court, and they want an extension on the timeline to do that. You mentioned this. I want to get into this more. This not only impacts uh, this particular case and, and what happens uh, with future decisions on small refinery exemptions, if it's still this EPA especially, but uh, also the 2021 RVO levels, right? Yeah, that's right, Mike. We should be seeing a final rule for the 2021 RFS volumes here in a few weeks. Uh, November 30th is the statutory deadline for publishing those volumes for the following year. 
we haven't even seen a proposal yet. And and uh, Administrator Wheeler has said, well, you know, we're not going to publish a proposal and certainly not going to publish a final rule until uh, these appeals of the Tenth Circuit uh, case have, have played out. And and now they're, you know, asking for a delay in the resolution on that. So it, it could be well into 2021 before we see the actual volume requirements for calendar year 2021. And that's just creating confusion. Uh, it's creating uncertainty in the marketplace, and that's the last thing that our markets need right now. And if Joe Biden does eventually win the White House, which signs are certainly pointing that way right now, and you start over with a new EPA administrator, what does that do to this whole situation? Well, you know, fortunately, we we did hear uh, Mr. Biden when he was campaigning uh, speak to this issue several times. He, he came out very strongly against these small refinery exemptions. Um, he, he committed uh, that, uh, you know, day one in office, should he be elected, uh, he's going to take steps to uh, put an end uh, to EPA's abuse of the small refinery exemption program. So we would certainly expect that if, if it does turn out that way, uh, that whoever comes in as the EPA administrator and, and hopefully whoever is the acting administrator before that um, is going to immediately start uh, to take the steps necessary to, you know, uh, stop abusing the small refinery exemption program and hopefully withdraw some of these court filings and just put an end to this, uh, this whole nightmare that we've been dealing with all year. So there are several waiver requests pending you'd have the possibility that if, say, Wheeler's going, as he goes out the door, if there is a change in administrations, he could potentially grant those waivers, right? And then you, what do you do? You have to go through a whole process and with the new EPA to try to get that reversed? <laughs> well, that is that is a possibility. It's it's some, something we're, we're definitely keeping an, keeping an eye on. There are 35 pending requests at EPA today for exemptions from the 2019 and 2020 compliance years. So uh, Administrator Wheeler could theoretically uh, grant those exemptions and return all the REN credits back to those refiners. That would have devastating impacts on, on the REN and biofuel markets. Um, but he would clearly be in violation of the law in these recent uh, court orders uh, if he did that. So we would do everything we could to stop that from happening. Um, and, uh, and, and certainly would encourage uh, a new administration, if that's the way it turns out, to, to you know, pull those things back in and, and get this program back on track. Uh, we, but, you know, we're hoping to avoid all that because it would just be a, a, another huge mess to deal with. Well, we started the year with that court decision, thought we had clarity on this, and here we are going to finish up the year uh, still with this uh, cloud hanging over it. Hey, before I let you go real quick, we're, we've been waiting to see if China would start buying ethanol and ethanol products, but now I'm seeing a story where they're wanting to move away from uh, uh, gasoline-powered engines, go to electric, battery-powered vehicles. Uh, what are you hearing on that? Yeah, that, that is the discussion in, in China is, you know, they had been supportive of an E10 national program for, for many years. Uh, last year they sort of stepped back from their E10 commitment, uh, and, and now they, you know, are apparently wanting to go all in for electric vehicles. Uh, the I guess the other thing we are hearing, however, is they, they understand that they're not going to get there overnight, uh, and that if they even if they were to transition their entire fleet to EVs, uh, they know that's going to take several decades to do, and, and, and so there is still an interest in China 
um, to use more ethanol to help address some of their air quality issues in their major cities. Um, but yeah, it's it's another place where we've got a lot of uncertainty, a lot of confusion. Uh, we were hearing of some some inquiries coming in on purchases, uh, but we still haven't been able to confirm any any shipments of ethanol to that marketplace this year. Okay, we'll watch that closely. Jeff, thanks a lot. Good to talk with you. Appreciate it. All right, thank you, Mike. Jeff Cooper, President and CEO of the Renewable Fuels Association. Renewable fuels played a big part in that big Senate race in Iowa. We're going to talk about that with Monty Shaw, Executive Director of the Iowa Renewable Fuels Association, next on AOA. Stay with us. Adams on Agriculture, brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel, diesel that doesn't mess around. When you think of home, you think of warmth, comfort, and peace of mind. And that's exactly what you get when you choose propane from FS. With propane from FS, you get our well-trained professional staff, along with an array of products and services designed to ensure that your propane system is functioning properly and efficiently. Add to this a variety of convenient terms and ways to save money, and you've got the right solution to all your home energy needs. Contact your local FS propane specialist today. FS propane feels like home. Visit fspropane.com. Adams on Agriculture. Conversations with policymakers, the movers and shakers in the ag industry, the pros and cons of issues important to you, cutting through the spin to get to the heart of a topic and giving you the information you need to know. Every weekday, Mike Adams brings you guests important to the ag industry. It's quite simply information farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Recently on Adams on Agriculture, we're talking with Joel Haggard, Senior Vice President for the Asia-Pacific Region for the U.S. Meat Export Federation. He's joining us from Hong Kong. Tell us about some of your efforts there to promote U.S. meat products and how it's going. This has been an extraordinary year, not only because of COVID, but probably more so because of the African swine fever outbreak that's really cut back China's pork supply. We've been shipping a lot of pork to China, record amount. This year, we're seeing the beef really starting to pop right now. We've been promoting um, in all types of formats, in-store promotions at Sands Club, barbecues for traders, a lot of uh, seminars and other educational events for chefs and distributors, pretty much the full gamut of activities. The audience has been very receptive because we're in a particularly favorable position right now on both beef and pork, but on the beef side because of the uh, Australia's uh, tight supply situation. So it's been pretty encouraging. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. Have you written a book and want to get it published? Then call Page Publishing at 800-955-4538 immediately. That's 800-955-4538. Page Publishing is looking for authors of all types of books. And unlike most publishers, Page Publishing will take the time to review each and every book submitted to them and give you their feedback. If they like what they read, they'll get your book into bookstores and for sale online at Amazon, the Apple iTunes Store, Barnes & Noble, and other outlets. They handle everything. Editing, cover design, copyright protection, printing, publicity, and distribution. So if you've written a novel, children's book, cookbook, inspirational work, poetry, or a biography and want to get it published, then you need to call Page Publishing and do it immediately. 
Call 800-955-4538 now for your free author submission kit. Again, for your free author submission kit, call 800-955-4538. That's 800-955-4538. Your road to fame and fortune could very well start with this simple phone call. Call Page Publishing at 800-955-4538 for your free author submission kit. Adams on Agriculture is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. With Cenex Premium Diesel, you can count on a diesel that will keep your operation in top shape. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. Okay, so we just talked with Jeff Cooper about EPA's attempts to delay responding to the court decision on their handling of small refinery exemptions. Let's switch from that to how biofuels played a role in the big race in the state of Iowa, where Senator Joni Ernst won re-election. Monty Shaw joins us now. He's executive director of the Iowa Renewable Fuels Association. Monty, uh, the eyes of the nation really on that, uh, that Senate race, one of the several key ones around the country, both candidates uh, were pledging support for biofuels, so biofuels front and center in that race. Yeah, it caught a lot of people off guard, but uh, right out of the gate after the primary, Teresa Greenfield really came after Senator Ernst and uh, ran a lot of ads, or this group supporting her ran a lot of ads, you know, saying, hey, you voted for the EPA administrator, you know, you're taking some money from oil packs, things like that, and, and you aren't working for farmers. So they really did try to use that as a way to wedge into um, her support in, in the rural counties. At the end of the day, it didn't work. Uh, as, as most of your listeners know, Joni Ernst has an incredible record supporting biofuels and farmers and, in fact, you know, led most of the fights. And, you know, we always focus on the ones we lost, you know, with those exemptions, you know, the, the secret exemptions. But we actually won a heck of a lot of fights, and it was, you know, I won't say mostly, but, you know, Joni was leading those fights along with other other uh, pro-biofuel senators and governors. A lot of money, a lot of outside money was poured into that race. I mean, people are talking like uh, the combined spending in that race might be 300 to $350 million. I mean, we're not, we're not New York City or L.A. You know, ads here aren't that bad. I mean, I can remember when I was doing campaigns for a living back in the 90s, um, if you spent four or five million dollars on a race, people's jaw dropped and, 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 you know, they were spending, you know, just oodles of money to try to, uh, both sides to try to win this race. Uh, you know, uh, they did feel that control of the Senate might hinge on, you know, this type of race. And, um, you know, that's, that's for other people aside, you know, but the voters of Iowa decided to, uh, send, uh, Joni Ernst back to the Senate for a second term. Uh, we're excited for that. We think she was a great champion, and um, and we look for, forward to working with her again. On, on the other side, you know, I'm glad that the Democrats, you know, were paying attention, right? We we have had some Democrats, even in Iowa, not really pay a lot of attention to rural issues um, in statewide races. And so I think you saw both the Biden presidential campaign uh, as well as Teresa Greenfield and others really come out and say, hey, we need to talk to farmers. We need to... Um, work with them and see let them know that they can fit into our our vision for the future too and and that's going to be important um teresa greenfield came up short and, and joe biden lost iowa but it's looking like it's about a near certainty that he'll be the next president and you know we do need to be part of of those agendas uh bi biofuels should not be a partisan issue 
Um, you know, we you can like biofuels for many different reasons, and some of those reasons are attractive to Republicans. Some of those reasons are attractive to Democrats. We're talking with Monty Shaw, Executive Director of the Iowa Renewable Fuels Association. Monty, for all the negatives of elections, and they're on full display right now, but for all the negatives, <laughs> one of the positives is the attention that an issue like biofuels does get. I mean, it does, in this case, in Iowa, it brought, uh, as you said, candidates from both parties in, got them to take positions on biofuels, got to talk with them, make them aware of the issues. Hopefully that pays benefits moving forward because, as you said, it looks like it may be a Biden administration and it, you'll be dealing probably with another EPA. And, and uh, of course, there's the always the push by some in the Democratic Party for things like the Green New Deal and things like that. So however we go, what direction, it's important that biofuels will be at the table and part of that discussion. Yeah, I had, I don't know how many times national reporters would call in and say, you know, uh, because because biofuels was an issue in the presidential election as well as the Senate, they're like, well, you know, who, who will you do better under, you know, Biden or, or Trump? You know, Trump EPA has been bad with you, but you know, the Obama-Biden administration did a few things that didn't help either in terms of some of the general waivers they did and in terms of taking away the FFV uh, incentives when they when they were doing their CAFE standards. So, you know, I, what I told people is, look, we have strong supporters in both parties, and, and we're blessed to have that. But we also have detractors from the fringes of both parties. You know, sometimes it's the oil industry who has influence on the Republican Party. Sometimes it's some of the anti-farmer environmental groups. Not all environmental groups are, let me be clear, but there are some that really don't like farmers, and therefore they don't like corn, they don't like ethanol. And so, you know, we have those challenges as well. So I said, doesn't you know, wh- whoever wins will still have our work cut out for us, and, and I think that's where we're at. But it was important that Biden engage because, you know, we're seeing people in California push for an electric vehicle mandate. In other words, they want to put their thumb on the scale. They don't just want low-carbon future they want to dictate how we get there. And that's just stupid when today I can drive my flexible fuel vehicle on E85 and have a lower carbon footprint than an electric vehicle that was charged in Minnesota or Missouri where they use primarily coal. Now, there would be other areas where the electric vehicle might have a better carbon footprint. Let's let, if, if you want a low carbon future, okay, but then let's, let's, let's let biofuels compete. You know, we can compete for octane and just fair economics if that's how you want to look at it. We can compete and carbon, if that's how you want to look at it. So I think it is important, you know, that we try to get to the EPA and say, don't do what you did last time where you took away the FFV incentives, right? Don't put your thumb on the scale for EV. EVs are coming. I'm not anti-EV, but they're not perfect. They, they have their shortcomings as well. Biofuels aren't perfect, but we should be able to compete and show that we are part of that solution going forward. I think that's the key message here. Uh, as we move forward and everybody's pushing for the cleaner environment, you can't, hopefully they won't take a path that shuts out biofuels and ignores their contributions to that effort. Yeah. I mean, you know, one of the things right now, uh, if you live in a, a dense urban area, you know, maybe a plug in electric works pretty well for you. But if you live out in South Dakota or even parts of Iowa where you drive a lot further, you know, their range is an issue. There's technologies that would marry a small E85 powered engine to recharge the battery as you're going down the road with the plug-in battery as the base source of fuel. That's a role for E85, and that would have an extremely low carbon footprint if that's your thing, right? 
And so why can't that be an option? Why? Because, you know, when you hear them talk about, well, we're going to ban gasoline engines. Well, that means you're banning liquid fuel engines, which means you're banning biofuels. And that makes no sense for ethanol, no sense for biodiesel. And we were, we actually, uh, when one of those bills got introduced right after the California governor put out an executive order um, mandating electric vehicles, we actually went out to all 10 candidates for federal office from Iowa, both Senate candidates and all eight House candidates. So both parties, you know, our four, we have, you know, one Senate race was up, four House races were up. All 10 candidates, all five Republicans, all five Democrats came out and, and all said they opposed that and that we need competition. We need biofuels to have a shot at that. And if we can prove we're low carbon and that we're a cost-effective solution, we should be part of the mix. And so it was pretty cool to see in the middle of a pretty contentious election in Iowa where uh, three of our four House seats were really close. Uh, the Senate race was you know, really close and, and the presidential race. So it, even in the middle of all that kind of political tension, um, Iowa stood united saying biofuels deserve a fair, a fair chance to compete. Finally, uh, Monty, bring us up to date on efforts in Iowa to get more E15 to, to motorists and uh, the move by the president that would allow E15 to be used in E10 pumps. But obviously that's different state to state. There are still hurdles to overcome. What's the situation in Iowa? Yeah, I mean, one of the primary things we've been doing over the last several years is we have had a state grant program. Uh, it still exists. Uh, so if there's any Iowa retailers out there listening, um, you can apply to a st- uh, to the state for a grant to upgrade your infrastructure to where it will be compatible with E15. And so we have been moving forward. Um, some of the bigger retailers like like Casey's and, and Quickstar and, and uh, to a certain extent Come and Go and others have been doing this for a while. We're starting to see more of the what I would call branded stations start to show some interest now. Um, I would just say that if the president wants to really move the needle on E15, like he tweeted about, then the EPA needs to, to, to change the rules. Um, you know, they talk about it like it's been done, but it hasn't been done. They, there's, uh, I don't know if you talked to Jeff Cooper. I heard you, he was on ahead of time or ahead of me on this, but they would need to promulgate some rules that make clear that under uh, not just the pump, but under the what's called the UST, the underground storage tank system, that, that those things are deemed compatible for E15. If you did that, you would take away the need for these retailers to upgrade their equipment. The equipment that sells E10 is compatible with, with E15, all right? But it wasn't listed that way. So we need to get rid of this technical thing and really, because that way we're not having to spend a lot of money retailers can just move forward that would be huge for agriculture all right money always good to talk with you thanks for the update appreciate it anytime thank you mike take care money shaw executive director of the iowa renewable fuels association we talk markets next here on aoa Cenex Premium Diesel comes with a more complete additive package for a more complete burn to optimize performance in all engines. These are the sounds of a dinner. A dinner that almost didn't happen. A dinner now served thanks to people like you. Due to COVID-19, 17 million more Americans may face hunger. Feeding America is helping our neighbors in need. And if you're able, you can too. Donations are being accepted at feedingamerica.org slash coronavirus. Brought to you by the Ad Council and Feeding America. 200 Food Bank Strong. 
We are strong, we are resilient, and we will get through this together. But these are stressful times, and it's important to also practice good self-care. It's normal to feel overwhelmed, anxious, or afraid, but there is hope. Reach out to someone, connect with your friends, stay in touch with your community, and know that you are not alone. Learn more at wearebroadcasters.com slash hope. Furnished by the National Association of Broadcasters and this station. Time now for a market check here on Adams on Agriculture. I'm Rusty Halverson from the American Ag Network. USDA confirming Friday a new flash sale of U.S. soybean exports to China, saying that 132,000 metric tons of soybeans were sold to that country, as well as 272,150 tons of soybeans to unknown destinations, 30,000 tons of soybean oil to South Korea, Grain futures inched higher overnight on extended strength of a weaker U.S. dollar and also unfavorable weather in South America. Livestock futures at the Merck started lower to begin the day. Today's hog slaughter estimated 488,000 head. That'd be steady with a week ago. Cattle slaughter also steady with a week ago at 119,000 head. Cash cattle sales Volume has been light so far on the week. The dollar pairing losses slightly after numbers showed U.S. employment growth a little better than expected in October. On the futures board an hour into the day, soybeans November down 7 cents at 1094 and 3 quarters. January down 4 and 3 quarters, 1099. December corn down a penny and 3 quarters at 407 and a half. Chicago wheat December down 2 and 3 quarters, 606 and a half. Kansas City wheat December down a penny and three quarters, 561 and a quarter. Minneapolis spring wheat December down three and three quarters, 557 and a quarter. Live cattle futures December 37 cents higher at 108.70. Feeder cattle January contract 40 cents higher at 135.95. Lean hog futures December down a dollar 42, 66 dollars even. Outside markets the Dow down. 70 points. NASDAQ down 124. S&P down 8. December crude oil down a $1.05. You're listening to AOA. I'm Rusty Halverson from the American Ag Network. The Home Service Club sponsors this paid advertisement. Attention homeowners. Broken AC, $4,600. Water heater, $1,500. Fridge on the fritz, $1,000. You need home warranty coverage from the Home Service Club. For around a dollar a day, if any of your covered appliances and systems break down, HSC will either do the repair or replace them. HSC has over 15,000 pre-screened, highly rated technicians with the fastest response time in the industry. HSC provides coverage for up to 47 different appliances and systems in your home. Call for a free, no-obligation quote from a trusted HSC service specialist about a home warranty for your entire home, all backed by a 30-day money-back guarantee. 800-434-5301. Call now and get your first month free, plus $75 off your first year. 800-434-5301. 800-434-5301. That's 800-434-5301. 800-434-5301. Adams on Agriculture brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel, a more complete additive package for a more complete burn. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams. 
Well, what a week it has been in many ways, including the uh, commodity markets yesterday. Big day, $11 soybeans, and people still talking about that. Let's talk about it with Steve Nicholson, grain and oilseeds analyst for Robo AgriFinance. Uh, Steve, I don't remember anybody talking about $11 soybeans back in uh, June or July. No, good morning, Mike. Um, yes, we've made it to the end of a, a big week. No, there was not any talk at the end of July that we're going to see 11, 11.50 beans. Um, and here we are, um, you know, middle of November for all practical purposes almost, and we're at $11 beans. And I, I think we have to owe this all to, you know, China and its buying pattern. I mean, it, it's pretty, it's, it's a fairly simple situation, I think. But we can't forget, too, and this is where it changes, as we've talked, it differs from corn. You know, you've got a much tighter S&D. I don't think anyone anticipated. I mean, think of two short seasons ago, we almost had a billion bushel carryover beans. And if you told me then, well, we'd be down to you know under 300 or close to 200, I, I kind of probably would have laughed in your face. And I don't, and I'll just say that. But uh, you know, here we are with a tight S and D potentially getting tighter. Um, we'll find out a little bit more on on Tuesday next week. And and China continue to buy beans. And and the the fact is, when you look around the world, you know we're the only kind of the only store open right now. Um, you know, Brazil's out of beans, and so you have to come to the United States to get them. So for us and our prices and producers. That's the good news. So I think we have to take it, and, and it's an opportunity to do some marketing because you just don't know how long it'll be to stay there. So that we continue to wonder about China's buying. I, I've already seen stories yeah. that uh, maybe they'll want to get off on, a, on the right foot with a Biden presidency, if indeed he's going to win. So maybe there'll be some, another round of big purchases. I mean, all kinds of speculation out there. Yeah, and, and that's the thing. I mean, there's, there is a lot of speculation about what the Chinese will do. And I think we have to remember the Chinese will do what's good for the Chinese. Um, you know, I, as I've said early on, I think there's a little bit of this buying had to do with wanting to show the president, President Trump up. Like, you know, we can fulfill our promises and, and we're going to do that. And so I think there's a little bit of that. And now that you, you know, the tables have turned a little bit and now it looks like there'll be a Biden administration. Do the Chinese want to try to curry a little favor there? And, and keep that up because I, you know, that's the other thing we have to remember. Um, you know, you kind of have to go back and trade history a little bit. It, you know, the, the 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 Democrats over the years have not necessarily been the free traders. They tend to be wanting free trade, but a lot of there's a lot of rules around that free trade. And you think about labor issues, for example, um, environmental issues. And so now you have a Democratic administration in coming in that is tend to be a free trade. You know, Biden tend to be a free trade. And, and now you have, you know, he's going to have to deal with his left wing of his party uh, to figure out what that's going to be and how they're going to resolve that. So he's got some internal issues to resolve first, but I do think that his tone will be different. And I've kind of described it as, as he's got an iron fist, but he's going to, it's going to be in a velvet glove. And so, you know, he's going to want to try to work this out with the Chinese and say, you know, look, here's, you have needs, we have needs. Can we not work together and figure this out? Um, but I also think he's going to not do it alone. Um, he will probably try to bring in um, allies, particularly from Europe, and say, look, we need to be hard, we need to be tough on the Chinese, and we need your help to do that. And I think that will be the other piece that will bear, come to bear on you know, the Chinese relationship and, the, and how the Chinese deal with the rest of the world. So there's a lot of changes coming. Uh, and we just have to be ready for it. And I think that's the other, you know, that's going to create a little uncertainty in markets and probably a little more volatility that we have to be be, be uh, ready to, you know, kind of take on. We're talking with Steve Nicholson with Robbo Agrofinance. All right. So 
it's one thing to have $11 beans, but a lot of farmers are saying, well, I've already sold those beans, and I didn't sell them for $11. Right, right. Well, that's, you know, that's always the, how often does that happen? We all, we all get excited, and, and I think that we have to kind of let's step back and think about that for a couple, for, from a couple of perspectives. One is the first question I says, did you sell beans that were profitable, and so you came out of that on a profitable side? And if the answer to that is yes, then you need to say, okay, that was a good decision, and you move forward and don't look back. And I, I think that's one thing I learned in my career is that, yeah, I may have fretted for, oh, maybe five minutes over a, a trade or a buy or a sell, but the reality is it's done. I have to move on. So, But if you made it on a profitable, if it was a profitable sale, then that's a good thing, and you need to remember that. The other thing is let's not forget you've, you've got November beans 21 trading. Um, you may have a little issue. The basis may not be exactly where you want it right now because there's a lot of risk, and, I, and that's, that's understandable. But if you have the opportunity or have the – the um, ability to sell beans out into next year and you're getting a good price, um, that's worth doing because we know we know with prices like this and if they continue to be there, we're, we're going to see more acres of beans next year, which will be depressive to the market. So why not take advantage of a market you have and try to be out there as far, far ahead of it as you actually, as far as you can be. Um, so, I, you know, I think that's the other thing to be thinking about. Um, let's not just keep our mind because you're over ten dollar beans you know next year um and it makes sense that you sold your beans now because that's what the market's telling you but you've got over ten dollar beans next year on the board and if you can make money at that then you go ahead and you know go ahead and get that get some business on the books then all right not quite as much as excitement on the corn side but what are your thoughts as we move into winter on on the corn market yeah it, corn is, is a little is there's a lot of interesting things about corn, but there's also some things we have to be watching. As we've talked before, and I, I always emphasize, people go, well, you know, this is why isn't corn or what's going on with corn? I said, well, you know, we have a good export program, and we need to take advantage of that, and the market is certainly showing that. We're certainly seeing that in the basis, and we'll come back to basis in a minute. Um, but the fact is, and you've got ethanol a little depressed, and people said, well, is the exports going to offset ethanol demand, ethanol, you know, depression this year? And I said, this year it, it probably is going to do that. But in future years, that's not going to be the case. And so you have to keep that in mind. But the bottom line is where we just talked about soybeans are extremely, t- you know, that, that S&D is getting tighter. That's not the case with corn. You still have 2 billion bushel carryout, and at some point the market, and it's, it appears to be waking up a little bit about that now, is that we've got 2 billion bushels. Why are we at $4 corn? And you're starting to see, and this doesn't happen, and, it, and I'm, not, I'm not exactly, I'm not forecasting or, or looking at that, but I'm certainly watching very closely that corn-soybean spread and seeing that divorce between the soybean market and the corn market. And with 2 billion bushel carryover, the corn market is, is you know, four, $4 is going to be tough to hold long, you know, in the, here in the intermediate term over the next you know, three or four months. But having said that, you look at the basis levels in corn, and in some localities you're starting to see a very positive, very positive or narrowing of the basis um, that gives you some opportunities to maybe book some corn, you know, today and even out uh, that you know looks, you know, looks good historically from a basis perspective. You know, the market is not getting the corn it wants, and so the basis and and it's, it's, the corn market is getting pressure from two spots. You've got Gulf corn. 
SIF basis number is really good, and you've also got an interior which is responding to that export market, but at the same time going, well, I can't let all that corn go down the river, so to speak. I need to keep some of that corn here because I need to either feed it to an animal or I need to process it into ethanol. I need to process it into, into fructose or whatever the case might be. So, you know, that those you know those markets are still going and so they're they're paying up so you're you get so you get two you know two bites of the apple here where you you know price price those futures and then price the basis separately because the basis market is showing is showing some strength and and part of that's because the farmer's not moving corn out of the country because he's been in the field does dry weather concerns here at the end of this year if they linger through the winter and head towards spring does that provide some support as well yes I, I believe it does because um, you've got a couple things. It's a great question because it, it has lots of facets. Think about what's happening here, and we know it's been dry. It, we've had some rain both here in the southern plains, and that's helped, but we're still not out of a drought. And, yes, the market's going to look at that and go, oh, boy, is it going to be a dry spring, and does that mean we're going to be dry this spring, and no, the crop won't come out, and you know the worries. But we have to think about what's happening in South America, and this is where there, again, is going to be supportive to the U.S. corn market. You know, we know that the Brazilian crop, is the soybean crop, is going in. They have some rain, and that's spurred them on to get some plain, but they've been very delayed, up towards 30 days in some areas. And so that means that that second corn crop, or that safrina crop, is also going to be delayed planting and also will have a lower yield potential. So you could have a situation next next year where you've got a window where there's a gap in corn exports from Brazil because that crop isn't harvested yet, which provides us opportunity. And again, goes back to the, the genesis of your question. You've got a weather situation in Argentina and Brazil uh, with La Nina that's going to be supportive. And markets are, you know, always jittery when they see that word La Nina, La Nina or El Nino. So, yeah, absolutely could be supportive as we get into the new year for sure. Age-old question. On one hand, we're saying, hey, take advantage of selling <laughs> next year's crop yeah. at uh, some good prices, but we're also saying we're concerned about next year's production already. Yeah, we are. That's exactly right. But we, as we always emphasize, you can't go broke making a profit if you make a profitable sale. Good point. All right. Always good to talk with you. Thanks, Steve. Thanks, Mike. It's great to talk to you as always. Have a great weekend. Take care. Steve Nicholson, Grain and Oil Seeds Analyst with Rabo Agra Finance. Yep, it's uh, 2020. What a year, right? A lot of ups and downs. Quite a quite a ride it has been and continues to be. All right, did you know? Did you have this marked down? Did you realize that tomorrow is National Bison Day? Yes, indeed, National Bison Day. We're going to talk about that with the Executive Director of the National Bison Association. Not only talk about Bison Day, but just kind of an overview of the bison industry in this country where it stands right now that's coming up next stay with us you're listening to aoa adams on agriculture Adams on Agriculture, brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel, diesel that doesn't mess around. I can't get my computer to work. Let me help you with that. How'd you do that? I just got techie with Geeks On Site. Our geeks literally come on site. 
No need to stop what you're doing or block off time. We come to your home, office, or wherever you are. And we don't just fix whatever computer issues you might be having. We explain and teach you along the way so you can feel empowered and then help others at home or in your office. Better yet, don't have time for tech support to come to you? Let us remote into your desktop or laptop, and one of our geeks will instantly walk you through. We offer affordable prices on our remote services and IT support. You and those in your office will never have to wait hours to have your technical questions answered. Get your free computer diagnosis today with your very own geek. Get started now and we'll help you instantly. Call 866-967-3879. 866-967-3879. That's 866-967-3879. As an organ donor, your story doesn't have to end. The good in you can live on. In fact, you could save up to eight lives with your gifts. Your heart could keep beating. Your kidneys could keep filtering. And your intestines could keep on digesting for others. And that's not all. You can improve the lives of 50 more people as an eye and tissue donor. Restoring sight and health. And you're not just helping out the person receiving the transplant. You're touching whole families with your life-saving gift. Register in minutes. Just go to organdonor.gov. You'll be happy you did. And just maybe, someone else will be happy too. Sign up today. Go to organdonor.gov. It saves lives. U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Health Resources and Services Administration. Every Tuesday, we're sitting around the table, sponsored by CHS, where we'll be talking with folks from throughout the cooperative system. Join us as we discover what makes cooperatives unique when there are more options to do business with than ever before. We'll learn how farmers and ranchers like you benefit from a system where decisions are made by the members that own it. Tune in every Tuesday for Around the Table or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. Meet Keith, loving dad, board game champ, bus driving pro. I drive 65,000 miles in my bus each year. If people knew what I know, lives could be saved. Like how there are some things I simply can't see. On my route the other day, a car tried to sneak past me and ends up right in my blind spot. I turned slowly, so I accidentally avoided it. But no car should be in the blind spot for a 40,000 pound bus. It's our roads. It's our safety. Visit www.sharetheroadsafely.gov. Neil Armstrong waited six hours and 39 minutes to step onto the surface of the moon. Jackie Robinson waited 20 months to play his first game with the Brooklyn Dodgers. And even DiCaprio had to wait 22 years to win an Oscar. You can wait until your destination. Don't text and drive. Visit StopTextStopRex.org. A message brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, Project Yellow Light, and the Ad Council. Recently on Adams on Agriculture, joining us is our good friend Jim Baer, President and CEO of U.S. Apple. I know that the U.S. Apple Association is making a big donation for this effort to help feed school kids. Tell us about it, please. We've had this program for several years, our Apples for Education program, and it's not about just giving away apples. It's actually intended to provide funds for creative 
programs that get proposed and to teach kids about healthy eating. And when school started shutting down last spring, I mean, even though a lot of apples go into the school lunch program, but, um, this is really not about just giving away apples. It just seemed natural. Our segment of agriculture ought to try and help out. And so we're providing this grant of $20,000 to the School Nutrition Association to purchase food and packaging for grab-and-go meals, for mobile carts and kiosks at curbside distribution, and uh, personal protective equipment to keep the workers safe. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. Young farmers don't listen to the radio, right? Wrong. In a recent survey, 74% of young producers said they get their most important agricultural information from their trusted farm radio station. Surprised? Don't be. If you think about it, it makes perfect sense. Radio is the perfect companion because it goes with you everywhere. Whether you're in the shop, on the combine, or in the truck, farm radio is right there with you. This message brought to you by the National Association of Farm Broadcasting. Adams on Agriculture is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. With Cenex Premium Diesel, you can count on a diesel that will keep your operation in top shape. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. Tomorrow is National Bison Day, and here to talk about it is Dave Carter, Executive Director of the National Bison Association. Dave, thanks for joining us. Going to have a lot of uh, festivities around the country tomorrow? Well, you know, people are doing uh, things in different ways. There's a lot of public uh, lands, uh, uh, parks and the like, that are inviting folks to come in and, and see bison. There are a number of ranchers and farmers that are hosting some activities, agritourism we call it, they're inviting people to come out and and to learn about this magnificent animal, but I, I like to say everybody can celebrate Bison National Bison Day by just having a deliciously healthy bison burger tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Uh, are your numbers going up? Uh, are we seeing herd sizes increase? We are. We're, we're seeing our herds continue to grow, Mike, and you know, you think about that's one of the reasons that uh, we celebrate National Bison Day is we call this the greatest story of market-based uh, species restoration in the history of North America. You know, when you think that uh, you know, previous to uh, the Europeans coming to North America, there were 30 to 40 million bison, and by 1885 we were whittled down to about 700 that were left alive, and slowly we've been inching back. We're now up to close to half a million in, in North America, and the herds are continuing to grow. And, you know, we like to say that everybody has played a role. Uh, most of the bison are on ranches uh, across uh, North America, but there are public herds, and, and now tribal producers are, are building herds, both ceremonial and, and cultural. And so the ranchers, the conservationists, and, and the tribal leaders have been working together very well over the last decade, but there's a fourth critical partner in that and that's the, the American public, the American consumer. Um, and we like to call them our partner in bison restoration because the more that they enjoy bison and incorporate it into their diet, the more incentive there is for us to continue to grow the herds. Well, how is bison demand? How are consumers uh, uh, reacting to uh, bison? Are they wanting it? Or is there a demand for it? And tell us about how where that is across the country. 
Well, our demand has grown very steadily, uh, particularly over the last decade. You know, when I came on board with the Bison Association, uh, gosh, close to 20 years ago, uh, you know, you just couldn't find bison everywhere. There were maybe a few places that would put it on as a novelty, or the volunteer fire department would cook it up once a year for a fundraiser. But now, you know, you go into the major grocery stores, the natural food stores, I like to say, brought us to the party, places like Whole Foods and Sprouts and the like. But now you go into Kroger, you go into Safeway, you even go into Costco and Walmart, and you, and you can find uh, bison there. So that demand has grown. The challenge that we're facing, Mike, and it's true for, I think, everybody in, in the protein sector, is when COVID hit, you know, there was a real disruption in the market. And for us, uh, as we've grown our business over the last decade, nearly every ounce of the high-value cuts of bison have gone into restaurants. Uh, people still not sure about cooking bison or whatever, and so they prefer to let the chef in a, in a restaurant cook them for them if they're going to have a, a nice tenderloin or a ribeye. And as the demand has grown on the retail side, that's been nearly all ground bison. And so when COVID hit and the restaurant shut down, you know, that was a real hit for us when we lost the, the market for those high-value cuts, even though the retail demand really started to increase. So we're kind of having to work to, to rebalance that and, and get that get that all put back together. What about raising bison? Now, I, uh, working with you, I've been on a, a bison ranch and find it fascinating, but you can see right away that's not for everybody. It, it takes some special, uh, you know, accommodations, special uh, infrastructure to do it. But uh, are you getting more people interested in raising bison? You know, what's really interesting, yes, is is we've had a lot of new people come into our business, um, particularly over the last 10 to 15 years. But even in since March, we've seen a real uptick of people that are interested in, in raising bison. And, you know, the, the thing one of our members, I think, puts it very well. She says that bison are just a bit harder to handle, but they're a whole lot easier to raise. And that's what we're trying to, to reach out to folks is, you know, we just went through Roundup with, with our herd. And, yeah, it was four days of, of pretty hard work. But now we can sit back and relax for the rest of the year because, uh, you know, if a blizzard comes through in the winter, we don't have to get up early in the morning and, and get out and get feed to those animals because Mother Nature is not going to throw anything at them that they haven't seen for tens uh, 10,000 years. Um, you know, calving season's a good time to go fishing because those, those animals don't want you around them when, when they're dropping their calves. And we don't dehorn or castrate or brand or, you know, any of those things. So that's one of the things as, as we uh, work with, new producers or prospective producers is is to talk to them about what we call the bison advantage and the real advantage we have mike is that the community of bison producers those ranchers that are out there um they just love to to help newcomers get started i i had one guy tell me he said you know i didn't use up all the mistakes when i got started he said i left plenty of them out there for the newcomers to make so my goal is that they just don't make my mistakes again, and, and I'm going to work with them and help them do that. And, and that's kind of the attitude we have throughout our business. Well, I tell you what, I have this memory, lasting memory of being a, uh, on a on a, a bison ranch, and it was feeding time, and they were that herd was coming over the, the rise and headed towards, uh, <laughs> you know, the feeding troughs, and, and that was quite a sight and a sound. I, I'll never forget that, I tell you, and uh, always appreciate you've helped me learn a lot about the industry, Dave, over the years, and uh, appreciate you being with us and encourage people to uh, 
celebrate National Bison Day tomorrow. Have some bison. Absolutely. Enjoy a nice bison burger. But you can go on, folks can go on. We have an app right, called Bison Bison, B-Y-S-O-M-E, Bison. You can download it for free, and people can go on there and probably find a nearby bison producer that might be having an open house or something tomorrow that you could go out and, yeah. just like you did a few years back, go out and see some bison. Yep, check it out. Dave, thanks a lot. Appreciate it. Take care. Always great to visit with you, Mike. Thank you so much. Dave Carter, Executive Director of the National Bison Association. That wraps it for today and for the week. Have a great weekend, everyone. Stay safe. Talk to you Monday. Cenex Premium Diesel comes with a more complete additive package for a more complete burn to optimize performance in all engines.